I believe, yes, they sang that at the ladies' conference. It was yesterday, and uh, praise the Lord. Uh, every report I've gotten and a little bit that I was there just seemed like a very uh, good conference. The Spirit was moving, and people were being blessed, and we praise the Lord. And uh, let's take our Bibles, and of course our children be dismissed to the children's church. And let's take our Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 3. We are church number 5. This is actually sermon number 6 in this series on Sunday morning of letters to the churches, Jesus and his churches. And he is writing individual letters to individual churches that uh, in... Uh, somewhere between 95 and 105 A.D. is the time period when the words of the book of Revelation were first penned uh, by John the disciple on the island of Patmos. And we try to, as your pastor tried to teach you, to stay away from certain things that will really hinder our understanding. These are not church ages. These are churches, and the problems and the promises uh, that each church experienced really uh, is a warning to each believer in each church now present today. That's why in chapter 1 there is a blessing upon those that will hear and understand these words. And really... um, the, the church today is, is one of the uh, darkest stories. Of course, everybody lauds uh, uh, all of the worst upon the last church, the church at Laodicea. Uh, but actually, Laodicea was in far better shape than Sardis was. And let's just read the letter here. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write... These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy." He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so as we read this letter, there's no good thing that Jesus has to say to this church. No commendation at all. Uh, There is only a charge to change what is going on, to 
to change the direction of what is happening in this church. And, and uh, I, I will tell you, as I have uh, traveled in the past and, and uh, have experience with churches today, uh, the Sardis Church is still just as dead today as it was in the book of Revelation. And there, there are many churches that allow themselves to move into this scenario. We can go just almost anywhere in this nation, if you'll stop and think, and we can find once great churches... They preached the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where souls were saved, lives were changed, missionaries were supported, and you go there today, and maybe there's nothing but an empty building. I think of the Union Baptist Church, in which we've expended so much effort when... The remaining trustee came to us. He was really the only active member of the church. One person can't be a church. And that's why he asked us to take over. And And uh, I want you to really pray. The pressure is building as we're trying to get things done and get this building opened. And there's just little things that... Uh, well, there's no such thing as little things if you have to deal with it. Amen? Uh, and and I want you to pray about that because, really, that's, that's the story of union. Is they stepped out of line. They, if you want a textbook on the wrong things to do to keep your church going, study the history of the Union Baptist Church there in Greenpoint. The board, church board, back in the 50s, said, oh, it would really help our budget if we didn't have to pay a pastor. And so they went to the college that was training uh, military chaplains and said, listen, if, you, if you've got some people that need a place to preach, we could use your, your men to come and they can practice and we'll have a preacher and it won't cost us anything except their life. See, God has an order in the church. That order was established personally by the Lord Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry. And I, I want you to understand something. God hasn't changed His mind on how things ought to go. But... We have a responsibility. If you want to know the greatest fear that, uh, that I have as a pastor is that someday Open Door Bible Baptist Church could become like the church at Sardis. And it's not hard, let me tell you. Not all church stories are quite as tragic on the outside as Union Baptist was. Because I can take you to thriving church congregations that are deader than a hammer. Because what does it mean to be dead? 
means to be without life. Is that amazing to anyone? That's, that's not a really deep thought there, I understand. But when we talk about a church, how, how can a church be dead? How about, I am the way, the truth, say it with me, and the life. Can a church that preached Jesus and was His true church lose Jesus? And wouldn't they be dead? There are Baptist churches that you can go to The way I like to put it is you couldn't find salvation in that church with a pack of bloodhounds and a battalion of Marines. You're just, it's not there. They have abandoned the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, I was, years and years ago, this, this was many years ago, we had a young lady in our church and she was, uh, she said, I've got an opportunity here to to work a job and and uh, they'll they'll take care of all my paperwork and everything. Can you find me a church in this area? It was in Texas, and I was going, oh, it shouldn't be too hard to find a Baptist church in Texas. And so uh, I began to search around, and I I found a church, and I called them up and. And the secretary answered the phone. I said, my name's Pete Montour. I pastor Open Door Bible Baptist in New York City. And we got a lady that's moving down towards your area and just like to find out what kind of church uh, you you are. And, and she said, well, what in the world are you talking about? And I'm going, whoa. And, and I said, well, there's a lot of variety in the Baptist group. Uh, because there there is no controlling authority, and so uh, I'd like to just know where where in that group you guys fall. And she says, "Well, uh, let me tell you something. If you think we're one of those funny mentalist churches, you got the wrong place." And I'm sitting here. Wow, what an attitude! The love of Jesus is just. Dripping on, I'm sorry, sarcasm sneaks in every once in a while. Do you know that was the only Baptist church within 30 miles of where this poor person was moving? Isn't that tragedy? That's why we, we teach, if you want to stay in God's will, you've got to have a good church. If God really wants you to move somewhere, there'll be a good church for you to move to. If there isn't, you better stop and think about following the Lord. And I will tell you that at church at one time, if it has any history at all, did preach the gospel did hold the truths that are evident in this book. That is what a Baptist is. And yet many have turned from those things. And so Jesus, as he introduces himself to this dead church, introduces himself in a very strange way. He says first, 
These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Well, I thought God only had one spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? So what what is going on here? Well, God is trying to help us understand something. If you'll just turn the page to chapter 4 and verse 5 of the book of Revelation, it says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6 of chapter 5, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and in and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as if it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Now, of course... As John saw these things, he saw seven lamps burning before the throne. He saw this lamb and as if it had been slain, which would have been a very uh, grotesque imagery there. And yet that slain lamb had seven eyes, the Bible tells us. Well, when God puts imagery like that before us. He's trying to teach us something. Amen? You look at the number seven in the Bible. What do you see? Seven days in a week. You see completeness, do you not? It's like the total thing. And these seven spirits are sent out into all the earth. The Bible's trying to help us understand here. Jesus is trying to help us understand that God is everywhere and He sees everything. That there is nothing that is withholden from His view. I will tell you, as a parent, nine times out of ten, my children will come to me, but Dad, you don't... I think I already know what's going on. But no, you, you need to let me explain it to Excuse me. Been around long enough. Know you well enough. I know where you came from. I know everything about you. I know what's going on. You don't need to explain it. Let me tell you what happened. Oh. I guess you do know. Now, every once in a while... As a human being, you err and you make mistakes. But you know what? God's never wrong. And he's telling this church, he said, I am everywhere present, the seven spirits of God. They, they go out into all the earth, the eyes of the lamb that is it had been slain. He says, I don't just see the outside. I see the inside. I'm not sure exactly when this came into being, but somewhere around the turn of the last century, someone invented veneer. How many of you know what that is? That is a thin layer of wood that you put over something else to make it look nice. Uh, Many times... 
you'll see these antique, uh, beautiful greened uh, doors and furniture and stuff. And, and as you try to finish it, you say, well, let me just sand this scratch out. And all of a sudden, the wood turns white and blank. Uh, it's because you went through the veneer. And the beautiful, very expensive wood that you thought was there wasn't there. It was only uh, a sixteenth of an inch thick. These doors that we have here at the back are veneer uh, because they're fire doors. We want the fireproof material underneath. And, and as I got the uh, instructions and we were installing the doors, it said sand only with and it gave the actual number there, but a very, very fine sandpaper. And sand very lightly, because the veneer is only like one thirty-second of an inch thick. Uh, because they don't want the wood that's on the door to burn. It, it's super thin, so it'll just disappear and get to the fireproofing very quickly. It won't feed the flames, it won't, but you have to be very careful. You know, a lot of people are like that. Don't rub them too hard. Because what's on the outside will come off. How many of you have ever been to the uh, uh, walking the streets of our beautiful city? Watches for sale, Rolex, Pate Philippe, whatever you want, uh, gold chains. Yeah, just don't dip them in Clorox, all right? Because it'll peel off so fast. And Jesus is telling this church, he said, you have a name that you live. It looks good on the outside. You've polished up, you've put the right veneer on there. But it's only veneer. I see right through it. And then he says, and the seven stars. Now, we won't take time to go through the stars again, but Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 says, The stars are the angels of the churches, the pastors. So Jesus says, listen, I see everything, and the pastors of those churches, I have them in my hand. Now I'm going to address this church. I know thy works, that thou hast the name that thou livest, and art dead. Now that's a scary thought. You see, if you were to visit the church of Sardis, which was having services at this time, you would walk in, and there were people there. There were things going on. They were meaning. Uh, uh, all of the things that should have been happening in a church were happening in a church. But it was dead. And the only explanation I can give is the life of the church. The church is the body of Christ. Amen? And if Christ isn't there... The church can't be alive. When's the last time you took time to think about 
what Jesus does in our hearts. We sang that song, How Great Thou Art, standing on the promises this morning. I didn't pick the songs, but I'm glad that Andrew picked the ones he did. All hail the power of Jesus' name. My hope is in the Lord. He died for me. Amen. Everything we do as Christians, we're supposed to have the Holy Spirit giving us the power and the ability to do that. Amen? But let me ask you a question. Can you put money in the offering plate without the aid of the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah. You can put money in the offering plate. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to help you. There are some people that do it under obligation. They do it because they have to. Do you know you can pass out gospel tracts without the aid of the Holy Spirit? I've met some people that called themselves soul winners. But whatever they were doing was without the aid of the Holy Spirit because I couldn't find what they were doing was in the Bible at all. It was like, hey, you, yeah, do you know you're going to hell? I never really thought about it. You want to go to heaven? Well, that'd be a good idea. Do you believe Jesus? Yeah. Okay, you're saved and walk on. I've heard people, they've led more people between the floors on an elevator than our church has members. And I'm sitting there going, wow, what, what is this? I met a guy one time, he thought it was funny. He was witnessing to a statue. And he was just making a joke, but you don't joke about those things. Not me. Jesus wasn't joking when he said, this church, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Because everything you're doing, you're doing in the flesh. You're doing without me. You're keeping the traditions. But I'm not there. But then I love verse 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. He says, this is a dead church, but there's still a little bit of life in there. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, that tells me how resilient this thing called the church is, how 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 powerful the Lord Jesus Christ is. He says, I want you to be watchful. Now, this idea of being watchful is to take an assessment. To, to really investigate what is. You know, it, it's good for a church to do that on occasion. Amen? We're not talking about this introspective thing where you sit there and, did I, did I really, really feel the power of the Holy Spirit when I did that? That, that kind of foolishness isn't going to get you anywhere. Are we really depending upon Jesus Christ? 
are, are we really looking? And even in this church, there were still some things going on there. And when we get down to um, verse 4, there were still some people in this church that were walking with God. And, and he said, strengthen the things which remain. And here is the thing that just frustrates the fire out of me. Every week uh, we get some advertisement from them, some new thing that the church ought to be doing. You know what? There's nothing new for the church to do. It was already completely established by the time the book of Revelation was written. Everything the church needed, everything the church needed to do was already here. Now... Should there be orphanages on the mission field? Should there be hospitals and medical care? Well, of course there should be. But is that the primary effort of the church? Absolutely not. We should not be satisfied. Those are ancillary things. Those are secondary things. We have churches that spend more time feeding hungry mouths and letting hungry souls drop off into eternity without Christ. We have to watch and strengthen those things which which remain. And then, I mean, there, there are some things that, I, I don't know how else to say it, I believe this is the thought here, We just don't let them die. Amen? Because the next verse here, as we come in, it says, Remember therefore... Now, I want you to read that third word in verse 3. Remember therefore what? How? Isn't that interesting? If you'll read your Bible carefully, there there will be little triggers in there that God puts there on purpose to get your attention. It doesn't say, remember therefore what thou hast received and heard. It says, remember how thou hast received and heard. How many of you that strikes just a little strange? It's different wording, isn't it? And sometimes there are things that are worded in your Bible purposefully through the Holy Spirit in a difficult manner so that it will make you stop and read and pay attention to what is there. But how? What's the first question we ask when something bad happens? Why? Wrong question. How is the right question? It's not, why does this have to happen to me? Why did that have to work out that way? Why? Wait wait a minute. How about how? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to move forward in my service for Christ? Well... He's telling the church here, if you're going to deal with this problem, you've got to remember how you received 
and heard, it says, Remember therefore how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent. How did the church of Sardis get started? How did they receive the word of God there? As far as we know, Paul never went to Sardis. But I'll tell you this, somebody did. And what did they take? Well, they had at least parts of this book called the Bible, amen? It wasn't complete yet, because we have the last book right here that we're talking about. And he's challenging the church here at Sardis. I want you to remember how you received. You see, somebody took the Word of God to you. It's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. The only thing that matters is the Bible. Amen? Amen? But how does the Bible get there? God didn't drop one out of heaven by an angel and somebody picked it up and started reading it. He sent a preacher. Can I read a few verses for you right now? Out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews the stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. So, I want to ask you, are you a Jew or a Greek today? If preaching seems crazy and foolish to you, well, you're a Greek. If you stumble at it and you say, wow, that trips me up, well, then you're a Jew. I mean, that's how you're reacting. You fit into those two categories. And and every one of us is going to be somewhere there. Where you're going to think it's crazy or we're going to stumble, but... If we'll believe what the preacher said, if we'll believe the Word of God, if the preacher's preaching the Word of God, that's how you get saved. How many of you have family that think you're absolutely crazy for going to church? Most of us do. And if you really start telling them all about it, then they'll know you're crazy. Right? Right? Especially when it comes to that tithing, tithing thing. I mean, that, uh, that's how most people pronounce it that don't have Bible. Like, tithing, what, what is that? No, it's tithing, 10, 10%. Uh, you, you know, you start doing that crazy stuff. And remember how thou hast received. And what's it say? And heard. So we know it's talking about preaching here. And hold fast and repent. Let's, let's turn just very quickly to the book of First uh, Timothy. First Timothy chapter 2. I'm sorry, that's Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. And we'll just start reading in verse 11. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. 
If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny. What's that next one? Himself. Why? Because he's living in the heart of a believer. I am glad my salvation doesn't depend upon my ability to remember. Amen? Because that would mean everyone with Alzheimer's has lost their salvation. I'm glad that's not true. I'm glad that no matter what happens to this body, Jesus has already saved it. Amen? Look what it says, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And it goes on and it tells us that in the great house there are vessels of honor and dishonor, and that if we'll purge ourselves from these, we can be that vessel unto honor. One thing that many visitors have said over the years as they come through this church is say, Wow, uh, this is like going back in time. Uh, you still do things the old way. Yeah, you know why? Because he told the church at Sardis to hold fast that which they had received... To strengthen those things, not to let it die. You know what? The church does not have the influence in society that it once had. Just doesn't. And people said, well, the church has failed in its task. Well, excuse me, if I remember correctly, there was someone named Jesus that said things will wax worse and worse as that day approaches. We're not blaming that. And we're not using that for an excuse. But I can't find one verse in the Bible that tells me that it's my job as a pastor to go down to Washington, D.C. and get an audience with the President of the United States and say, let me straighten you out about a few things. Number one, he'd throw me out on my ear. Number two, wouldn't do any good even if he did listen. Because there's too many people down there that don't believe a thing that's in this book. You know what we need to do? We need to grab a hold of that which we have and hold it fast. We need to strengthen those things which do remain. You see... We get back to our letter here, and it says, If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. I was reading a commentator, and he said, Yeah, that, that's not talking about the rapture of the church. Oh, yeah? That, that is talking about the rapture of the church. My prayer is this pastor is when Jesus raptures this church that there's nobody coming back the next Sunday for services. That's my prayer. Will it happen? I don't know. 
Because Jesus said, There will be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? You know what? There are some churches that after the rapture, when these people, when God calls us home and we're out of here, there are some churches, nothing will change. And they'll have Baptist on the name. Not only the Presbyterians and all the rest of them. Nothing will change because Jesus never was there. It was dead. There was no life. There'll be some of those churches, well, where did that silly old grandma go that sat there and really prayed? Well, she was one of those few. You can almost hear the sarcasm here in verse 4. It says, Thou hast a few names. Now, what's that? Even in Sardis. Wow. What? What a slam. It says, Even in Sardis, I found a few. You know what? Even in New York City, there's still a few. Amen? Uh, Our governor says he doesn't want us. Too bad. We're here before him anyway. We're going to keep serving the Lord. Amen? And what I mean by that, there were Baptists that believed this book long before the Como family came, emigrated to the United States. They don't have the right to change history. People want to change definition of words. They want to do all these things. You know what I do? I let them. But they're not going to do it in here. Amen? Because we're going to hold fast. And it says, They shall walk with me in white, for they are Worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now let's stop here a minute. And what Jesus has done twice in this letter is he has just made allusion to things that we do not know very much about. This idea of the seven spirits of God. Well, we look at the rest of the Bible there, the book of Revelation. It tells us that these seven spirits go out into all the world. Uh, We see the number seven repeated as a number of completion and number of perfection in the Bible. And we can deduce a few things from that that... He is talking about God being everywhere, seeing everything, and that's how he introduces himself to this church, the the one that sees through everything. And then he talks about, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Now, that book of life is not mentioned very many times in the Bible. But let me tell you, it's something really important. I want you to listen very closely. I just want to read a few verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, and Clement also with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. We just read Revelation 3, 5. 
Revelation 13, 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 17, 8, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. <coughs> and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Revelation 20, verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to those their works. Verse 15 of chapter 20, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 21, And there shall in no wise enter into it, talking about the new Jerusalem, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. 22.19, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I've read you every verse in the Bible that deals with the book of life. Now, these few references say it's a very important book. If your name's not in that book, you don't get into heaven. You have no access to the new Jerusalem. And yet, we read here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, To him that overcometh, he said, I will not blot thy name out of my book. Can we just make a connection here with these verses? Because they're all talking about the book of life. See, this little connection here, this little side mention, destroys 90% of false theology, does it not? If we put it in the context of other verses, Jesus says, I give unto them what? Eternal life. That means you can't lose your salvation once you get it. It says, for God so loved the world. It, the Bible is very clear that no person in hell today who, or who will ever find themselves in that place of the damned is there because God put them there. It is there because each person made an individual choice to either accept or reject. And in this one little glimpse, God gives us a view of how that process works. When you're born into this world, God puts your name in that book. When you cross that invisible line of God's mercy, He blots your name out of it. That's a harsh, harsh truth. And every commentator I've read have all said, oh, that, that's not what's really being talked about. You know why? Because they wouldn't sell commentaries if they put something like that in it. That's, that's a sad truth. 
You see, walking in white with the Lord Jesus, having your name confessed before the Father in heaven and his angels, that is the right of every person who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? God wrote your name in that book. But if you're here today and you're not saved, there will come a time when He will take that blotter. I don't know what it looks like, how it works. In the old days, you had your ink in a well. And you could just take the pen out and draw several lines through something. And then you put a page over the top to blot the excess ink. And it would make the paper, uh, the, the thing permanent. We're not quite sure how it all works out. But there won't be a blank there. There will be a big black mark where your name used to be. So it's, it's not seeable anymore. It's taken out. It is covered up so that it cannot be seen and cannot be read. You see, what was going on in this church is they were filling themselves full of members that weren't saved. And the leadership in the church and the people who were running the church were not saved. And that's why the church was dead. They were doing all the right things for all the right reasons. But they did not possess a personal salvation relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, they weren't alive, but they were dead, and their church was dead. You know, that is one of the, what we call Baptist distinctives, is in order to become a member of a Baptist church, you've got to be saved. It's kind of funny to, to me that most churches say, come join us, do everything we can, and maybe someday we'll be able to give you salvation. If you don't have that settled now, you can't become a member of our church. Because the church is only for saved people. Amen? And one of the great things that has happened over the years is the church, quote-unquote, many of these churches have accepted unsaved people as members. Now, what do we do? Well, we're going to be watchful and strengthen those things which remain. That's what Jesus said to do. We're going to remember how thou hast received. It's through the Word of God, the written and the preaching of the Word, and heard. And we're going to hold fast, and where we don't match up, we're going to change. We're not going to change the Bible to meet us. Amen? It's amazing that Jesus still addresses this church as His church. 
But what did he say? If you don't repent, I'm going to come as a thief, and you're not going to know what hour I'm coming upon you. How many of you remember the story of Samson? Delilah made him go to sleep, and then she shaved his hair, and he woke up, and he shook himself. And he wist not that the spirit was departed from him, even as the hairs were falling off his body onto the floor. That's what happens to churches. They're here. And they're gone. It doesn't necessarily mean they close the door. It just means the leadership and the direction of that church no longer in the hands of him that holds the seven stars. It's no longer under the scrutiny of him that hath the seven spirits of God. It's no longer a church. That's what makes church history so difficult to decipher. Is because we can't see the line of demarcation when that church changed from a real church. A candlestick church. A church that had light. No matter how feeble it was, it still had light in the darkness of this world to a church that became part of the darkness. A place where people were guided into an eternity without Christ, feeling very good about it. Happens every Sunday in buildings all across this city and all across the world. But I'll tell you what. Isn't it amazing that he doesn't tell the people of the church to throw the pastor out and straighten out the church? It's because of his church, and when it's his church, and the people in that church are holding fast to the things of this book called the Bible, that's how they have received, God will put his preacher and he'll keep that church alive. Because it belongs to him. But when things turn, it's not that Jesus abandons his church. It's that there's nothing in the church that holds Jesus there. And it's gone. And no one sees it happen, and it's an amazing thing. And that church will go through the tribulation protesting the whole time that they have had the truth. How many wars have been fought by people who say, I have the truth? See, truth is an amazing thing. It doesn't need to be defended, but if you have to defend your truth, maybe what you have isn't truth. And so as we look at this church, look what it says. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Once again, we're reminded, it's not about you, my friend. It's not about what you can do or who you are. 
all about Jesus, isn't it? Can you imagine him taking your hand in the sacred halls of heaven before that throne that is like unto an emerald and a rainbow and the lightnings and the voices proceeding out of it? And he calls your name and said, This one's mine. I confess that Put your name in there if you're saved. Is a believer in me and I have washed them from their sins with my blood shed on Calvary. We get that white garment of the righteousness of Christ. And we get to walk with him. You know, in this time of pressure and everything going on and the schedule just pressing in, sometimes I'll just grab my kids, especially two little boys. They're easiest to please. And I'll just go on a walk with them. Just walk around the block. Maybe we'll stop and get a soda or something. We'll just walk. Sometimes I say, how about you walk Daddy down to get a cup of coffee? Amen. And, and, And they'll come with me. But there's something nice about that. I've often said if I really want to irritate the sodomite crowd, all I've got to do is get all my kids together and walk around the block, right? Uh, that ought to be enough to set them off. But listen, that's not the purpose we do that. We do it because when you get to walk with somebody, you learn things. You fellowship. You get to be close. Jesus says, you're going to walk with me. Oh, boy. I want to take that walk with him. How about you? Amen? You see, your church doesn't have to be dead for you to be clothed in white. But if there's hope for the dead church, then there's hope for our church. Amen? And those promises are made. If Jesus made all of those promises to every church, we would get, oh, yeah. But when he makes different promises to different churches, and we start adding them up by studying our Bible and comparing the promises in the Scripture... It gets overwhelming, does it not? That precious stone with a special name that only belongs to you and God. Intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. The robes of righteousness to rule and reign on this earth, to have the false teachers fall at your feet and confess that they were the liars. And that you had the truth. I'm looking forward to that day. And some doctored up muckety-muck from Harvard or something has to fall down on the ground and say, you simple little idiots had the truth and I was preaching the lies. That's what Jesus says is going to happen. 
The synagogue of Satan is going to be identified as such. And there will be shame on their faces. And no one will go to hell standing up straight. They'll all be sniveling cowards in that day. Because no one can stand in the face of the wrath of the eternal Creator God. I don't have much to do. I got to remember how I received. Amen? Hold fast. And when I get out of line, I repent. I got to strengthen those things which are. I got to watch. When the trumpet sounds, I'll be ready. Those are promises for us. We need to grab a hold of those. He'll never blot your name out of his book if you're saved. Amen? Minority church today? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,